Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's great to see you this morning, for sure. For those who may be here for the first time, this is your first experience here at Temple Baptist Church. My name is Donald, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're delighted to have you and that you're willing to share part of your weekend with us. I do want to let you know, next weekend, by the way, next weekend after the morning service, we're going to have a reception. Uh, we have our new pastor and his family have moved to town. They're actually here today, but they don't officially start till tomorrow. Okay, so they're here in incognito. And uh, Glenn and Liz and Owen are here. His parents are here actually this morning as well. So we're so glad that they're here. But next week, after church, we're going to have a reception for them, an opportunity for you to get to know them a little bit better. So mark that on your calendar to be here next week. Today we start a brand new series called Flawed. Have you ever felt inadequate that you failed just one too many times? Well, let me encourage you today. God's grace is reserved for flawed people like you and me. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at individuals who, for the lack of a better word, were flawed. Like you and me, they had issues. Like you and me, there were things in their lives that people could point to and go, really? Really? God could pass grace on that situation? In fact, the Bible is filled, by the way, with flawed People, and yet God did amazing things in their lives. I think of Abraham, the great patriarch, Abraham of all people. He's a liar, a deceiver. He, he got another woman pregnant other than his wife. What about the great mighty prophet of Elijah? He suffered, I, I think he suffered from a mental illness, depressed, suicidal, bipolar, like he struggled. And yet he's one of the mighty prophets of the Old Testament. What about uh, Joseph? You know, he's, he was abused and he's an ex-convict. What about Job? He had health problems and claimed bankruptcy. Moses, he had anger issues and struggle speaking, which, uh, which hindered him from being a, a communicator as he was the leader of Israel. What about Gideon, this great military leader? And yet we first find him down in the wine press uh, wetting himself because he's so nervous with the enemy. What about Samson, one of the famous judges of Israel? And we discover he's a womanizer who lives a very immoral playboy lifestyle. What about Rahab, who's part of the genealogy of Jesus? She's a harlot. She's a prostitute living in the red light district. What about King David, a murderer, an adulterer? What about King Solomon, a sex addict? 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000 lovers, really. And God can do something with somebody like that. Last week we looked at the woman at the well, divorced five times, living with another man. And yet every single one of these individuals experience the grace of God in their lives. And I've said this many times, I'm going to say it again. There is nothing more difficult than getting my mind wrapped around grace. God's amazing grace because it deeply offends our natural sensibility everything that makes sense in our conditional world is turned upside down when we look at grace it really is shocking it is scandalous as I've said before and I pray that as we go through this series that we'll get a better understanding of what 
the amazing grace, the amazing love of God is like for flawed people like you and me. The story that we're going to look at this morning is so familiar that we often overlook the weightiness of it. And what we see in this story that we're going to look at today is really, it's shocking. And yet the glorious grace of God is on full display. And once again, as we read through this story, we're going to shake our heads and go, I don't get God's grace. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And this morning, I want to look at an encounter that Jesus had with someone who's probably considered the most notorious crook in the whole New Testament. It's one of my all-time favorite Bible stories. And it's found in Luke chapter 19. And I was thinking about this as we're, we're going to be looking at this character that um, oftentimes we think of this guy more of a cartoon character. We're going to look at Zacchaeus. You know his theme song. Zacchaeus was a... And a wee little man was he. He... Exactly, you know the theme song. Exactly. If you grew up in Sunday school or VBS, you know that to be true. But let me tell you, he is not a cartoon character. He is as real as you and I are. He is a self-made millionaire. And as Frank Sinatra used to sing, I did it my way, well, that was Zacchaeus' motto. I did it my way. I've often wondered, what does, what does Zacchaeus look like? We know that he was vertically challenged. And so this is kind of who I think he looks like. Danny DeVito. That's kind of what I think of maybe Zacchaeus looked like. There's another picture I think right there. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever wondered what God looks, is like. If you ever do, take a look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God in a bod. He came in the flesh, Jesus, so you and I can know what God is like. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read it this morning, Luke chapter 19. I hope you brought your Bibles with you or or some kind of electronic device that you can follow along. But in Luke chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down. Come down immediately. I must, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today, today salvation has come to this house because this man 
too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And may God use this very familiar story to show us his amazing love and his amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, I pray, Lord, that you would show yourself to us. I pray, Lord, that as we communicate truth from your scriptures, I pray I'd get out of the way. And I pray, Lord, that you would help open the eyes of us that are here today to the reality of the amazing love of God and the amazing grace of God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I had a nephew and a niece who played Little League Baseball. And as a proud uncle, I was always there at every game. And uh, I still remember the very first game that I went to for my nephew. I think he was about six years old. And uh, I'm there in the stands, and I'm all excited. And the opposing team is the first ones up to bat. And so this little guy gets up there. You can tell he's having a hard time holding the bat. And, and they had a pitching uh, machine at the mound. And so the coach put the ball in there, and the ball went by, and the guy swung, and he missed it. I went, yes, strike one. And I realized, ooh, he's just a six-year-old. I probably should settle down. But he's on the opposing team. I mean, I'm going to root for my nephew's team, right? And so the coach puts another ball in there, and it goes by, and he swings, and he misses it. And I go, yes. And uh, he puts another ball in there, and he goes by, and he misses it. I'm like, he's out of there. And then the coach did the most amazing thing. He put another ball in the pitching machine and let the guy have another try. Like, what, what is this? And he missed it. And he put another ball in there, and he missed it. And he put one more in there, and he missed it. He kept pitching the ball to the guy until he finally hit it and got on first base. And I'm like, what kind of game is this that everybody wins and everybody gets a trophy? Kids got to know there's losers in this world. But isn't this sometimes how we look at God's grace? We think we've had our chances, right? And we struck out. But then like the coach, he puts the ball back in the pitching machine and gives him another opportunity to hit it. And another opportunity until he gets on first base. I think some of us here maybe this morning have a very distorted view of God. I think some of us here think we have blown it one too many times. We're just a little too flawed for God to do something with us. And my prayer is that somehow this morning your thoughts about God would be radically changed. Because he's for flawed people. He is the God of endless opportunities and he continues to pursue you. You have not blown your chance with God. I think he wants us to know that he is the kind of God who's like the coach, just puts the ball back in. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. The story of Zacchaeus really is a story of grace that is extended to someone who is undeserved and then how it is expressed after grace has been extended. 
So let's picture the scene. There's this mob of people following Jesus. He's saying, he's doing things that no one else has ever heard of. He's very popular and he's, he's like a rock star. I mean, he's coming to town. Everybody knows he's the one that's been healing people. Those who are blind, they can see again. Those who are lame, he, they can walk again. People who had suffered from diseases all their lives have been healed. He's a rock star as he comes into this town of Jericho. And Jericho is like the Beverly Hills of Israel. It's very wealthy. It's like where the who's of who of Israel lived in Jericho. And here comes Jesus. And the story tells us that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Like he just went, he, he had heard so much about him. It's like a rock star is coming to our town. I want to see who he is too. And because the, the crowd was so thick and, and tall, he, he just couldn't see. So he runs down the route till he finds a tree. And he climbs up into it. And so in verse 2, we find out who the man is that's so desperate to see Jesus. We find in verse 2 that he's a tax collector we find out he's a very wealthy man. So it gets, for us to be able to get the whole weight of what this guy is like, I think we need to get up an up-close personal view. Tax collectors were not people that anybody liked. Just hearing the word tax collector evoked emotions of hatred. Like when we think of Revenue Canada, we go, well, I don't really care for them, but we don't usually evoke hatred toward them. But not so in this day. You mentioned the word tax collector, and the people would just begin to seethe. Uh, tax collectors were the representatives of the abuse of power of the Roman Empire. Tax collectors were hired by the Roman Empire to, to get people's assets. Tax collectors were the local extension of the Roman Empire. They were not popular among town. Nobody invites them over for supper. Nobody goes on family vacations with tax collectors because they have been ruining people's lives for years. In fact, Jews uh, felt it was disloyal to even pay taxes to the Roman Empire. And to have a tax collector that was a Jew was even worse. I mean, he was like a traitor. How could you be so disloyal to your people? They looked at Zacchaeus like he was a Benedict Arnold, a traitor. Because everyone knows that tax collectors took what they wanted. Zacchaeus, like all the other tax collectors, always ga gathered more money than what even Rome was asking for. Um, and they were hated. They were corrupt. And he's the chief tax collector. He's the mob boss. It's like he's the boss. You know, the buck stops here. And let me tell you, Zacchaeus was a hated man in his town. There's this story of two brothers who lived in a town. They were shrewd and they ripped off everybody in the town. And one day the older brother died. And so the younger brother went to the pastor in town and said, preacher, I would like you to eulogize my brother. The pastor said, absolutely not. Do you know what kind of brother you had? I will not eulogize your brother. He was a scam artist. And then the younger brother pulled out of his pocket a wad of money, started counting 100, 200. He got up to 2,000. The pastor said, okay, okay, okay. I'll eulogize him. And then the younger brother said, and the other thing, somehow, somewhere in your eulogy, you need to say my brother was a saint. A saint? There's no way I'm going to say your brother was a saint. He pulled out of the wad of money. 
Started counting more out on the tables. Okay, 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 okay. I'll say he was a saint somehow. So everyone shows up that was in the town. They're coming to the church because they want to make sure this guy is dead. They couldn't stand this older brother. And they wanted to make sure he was dead. And they were kind of curious as to what the pastor would say in his eulogy. He said, everyone knows the character of this man who lies in this coffin. He was a crook. He was a swindler. He was a cheater. He was a liar. And he ripped off everyone in this town. But compared to his brother, he's a saint. <laughs> this, this is how the people of Jericho thought of Zacchaeus. They would have been happy that he was dead. <laughs> Very happy to hear the news that Zacchaeus has passed away. And what we find in here is Jesus is making his way through the crowd. And he singles out and says to the man up in the tree, he says, I must, I must go to your house today. Not I hope to go to your house today. I wish I could go to your house today. He says, I must go to your house today. Zacchaeus, you're the reason I actually have come to Jericho. I must come to your house. And so here's Jesus. He identifies the hated man. And he goes to his house. Zacchaeus, of course, is thrilled, but the people look at this as absolutely scandalous. Because to the people, this makes no sense. Why would Jesus go to the most hated man in our town? And yet, that's what he does. The crowd is a little self-righteous, and they just began to point fingers and chatter and mutter and talk and gossip. You know, if we were to bring this in a modern-day situation, let's, just say, let's say Mother Teresa was still alive, and she came down here, and she sat in the front row right there. And we'd be like, oh, Mother Teresa. Oh, my goodness, Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. And then a few minutes later, uh, Hell's Angels, comes right down here, sits right over here. And we know that, you know, this Hell's Angels guy, he's the one who's responsible for the drug trade here in Sarnia. And so afterwards, church is over, and I have one more uh, chair at my table for lunch, and I go and I invite the hell's angel. People are like, what is wrong with you, Donald? Why would you go to that person? There's mother. She's a good person. This is who you should be inviting to your house. So you, you can imagine why people were confused as to why Jesus would go to his house. I mean, it really violates every sense of fairness to us. And Jesus stops, he looks up in the tree, and he says, come down. Actually, come down immediately, because i got to go to your house today. And people start talking. Jesus was associating himself with the likes of Zacchaeus. People are like, you're staying at Zach's house? Like, seriously, do you know what kind of man he is? And people stop. It's like people would look at him as a... Like he's the pimp of the sex trade. Like that's how bad people despise this man, Zacchaeus. And yet there goes Jesus to his house. And the crowd gasp as to why he would do that. Mark this down. There are no exceptions for God's acceptance. There are no exceptions for God's acceptance. There are no boundaries to God's acceptance. 
to Jesus' acceptance of Zacchaeus. And that is what it's like when Jesus shows up. Jesus is staying at the house of the gang leader in Jericho. And the crowd gasps. Jesus, do you realize that this guy is not a good guy? The story of Zacchaeus is really the story of salvation. God comes along long before you clean up your act. Jesus' popularity, I believe, at that moment, dropped drastically. I mean, here are the people that come out that heard so many great stories about him. I think Jesus could have tripled his following if he had pointed out the liars and the thieves. I think he could have had the, the crowd cheering even louder. But instead, he does something completely different. And that's why this makes absolutely no sense to us. Grace does not make sense. And here Jesus says, I must go to your house today. Yes, I know you're the most notorious crook in the city, but I'm going to your place today. As I said, this story is a story of salvation. We, that's us, that's Zacchaeus. We're Zacchaeus in the story. And Jesus comes our way. He comes to our home. Even though we don't deserve it, he comes our way. And he does the most incredible thing. When you read through the story of Jesus, he actually took our place on a cross, took our sin upon himself. And then, and then, the most incredible thing, he takes all of his righteousness and deposits into our account. There's a big theological word called justification. That's what Jesus does. It really, let's break it down. To justify is just to, just like I had never sinned, which is amazing to think about that. When, when Christ takes his righteousness and deposits into our account, it's just like we've never sinned. And on the flip side of the coin, it's just as if I have always obeyed. Amazing. The hatred toward Zacchaeus is now moved to Jesus because the crowd thought that God's love should be toward the good people. It didn't make any sense to the crowd. I mean, God is for the clean. But in this story, we get a completely different picture. Because Jesus came to do what you and I cannot do for ourselves. See, people think that God is a, a clean-cut guy looking for clean-cut people. I mean, we kind of look at God as like the NHL uh, draft. We want the best. We want the fastest. We want the quickest. That's who Jesus is looking for. But God does the absolute opposite. The Bible says he chooses the foolish things of this world to confuse the wise. He chooses the weak things to confuse the strong. In other words, God's glorious grace is displayed when it's lavished on a person who is despised like Zacchaeus. When is God's grace more colorfully displayed? When it's put on the good person? I mean, if, if uh, Jesus had gone to Jericho and, and called out the mayor who had won the election by a landslide, 99.9% .9 of the people liked him, and he lavished his grace, people would say, well, we would expect that. But that's not what he does. He goes to the most notorious crook in town. 
And that's when the grace of God is colorfully displayed. God always seems to do the opposite of what we think. And sometimes, honestly, it just doesn't seem fair. Like our, our minds can't wrap around this concept of God's grace. But by, putting, by um, choosing Zacchaeus, he is putting his grace on a grand display. And the crowd hated it. Do you know why we struggle so much with God's grace? Actually, I'm going to take it back. Do you know why I struggle so much about God's grace? It's because I think I'm pretty good. I look out there in the world and I go, well, there's some pretty bad guys out there. I'm actually pretty good. And then I get this distorted view of God's grace. I know a lot of us here would give lip service. Yes, I know we're bad, we're sinners. But when we start looking out, we go, no, I'm not actually that bad. I'm not really that bad. Do you know what the mark of spiritual growth really is? Like you think about, we're always talking about, we want to be disciples, we, we want to mature in our faith, we want to grow in our faith. Do you know what really is a mark of spiritual growth? Look at the Apostle Paul. I mean, we look at him like, oh my goodness, he's the greatest Christian who ever lived. Look at his life. I mean, first of all, he was a church planner, he was a preacher, he was a missionary, he was a scripture writer, he suffered for the cause of Christ, he was locked up in prison, he was beaten repeatedly, he was stoned and left for dead. I mean, he's like the super saint of all the saints. And do you know what he writes at the end of his life? He says, I'm the worst guy I know. That's what he says. After all said and done, I'm the worst guy that I know. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. That is a mark to me of spiritual growth when you recognize your deep need of God's grace. Well, during some point of the visit, things changed for Zacchaeus. I don't know. The story doesn't tell us. Was he there an hour? Was he there two hours, four hours? Did he spend the night? I I don't know. But something along the line in the conversation, things changed between verse 7 and verse 8. And he says in verse 8, he actually says, if I have stolen from anybody, which I kind of chuckle when I read that because we all know he's stolen from people. He says, but if I have, not only will I pay them back, but I will pay them back four times what I stole. Now, I don't know, has anybody ever been broken into their house? Anybody? Ooh, safe neighborhood. You should live in Nova Scotia. I was broken into twice. Smash the windows out, smash the doors in. And I can remember the very first time, very first time, they robbed my house. I mean, you know, they're ransacking, they flipped drawers upside down, but I had just bought a brand new laptop, $1,500. It was two weeks old. It was sitting on the island. And I came home and it was gone. My life was gone. (laughs) Now, kind of imagine this, just imagine this. The thief comes back to my door, knocks on my door, and he says, you know what, I stole your computer. I want to give it back, and I bought four more for you to replace it. That's what we're talking about here. This is what Zacchaeus says he's going to do. You know, sometimes we get, as as believers, we get so scared of grace because we think we need the law for people to obey and to act properly. But that's not what happens in this story. 
Because when grace is grasped, it compels obedience. Not begrudgingly obedience, but spontaneous obedience. You know, there is no mess from your past that God cannot extend his grace. There is no part of your story. There is no part of your addiction. There is no part of your abortion. There is no part of your same-sex attraction. There is no promiscuity, no drug use, no alcoholism, no eating disorder, no cutting, that God's grace is not greater than that. That's the grace of God. No flaw too great for God to forgive. And I know that there are people here this morning who are having a very hard time believing this. And I know that because I've talked to some of you. Some of you have said to me, I hate this thing in my life. I I just can't see how God can ever be able to use me. I want to say to you one more time, God's grace is greater than any of your sin. In verse 9, chapter 19, it says, salvation has come to this house. Salvation came to this house. Not because Zacchaeus did a whole list of Jews. No. Salvation came when Jesus showed up. Who came to visit Zacchaeus? Jesus. And Jesus is salvation. Salvation comes through no other than the person Jesus. By the way, it is not a process. Salvation is not a process. It is a person. And I know, I know there's people here that are still convinced that salvation is a process. If I do and I do and I do, then finally I do enough and salvation will come to my house. But that's, that's not at all what the Bible says here. At all. Salvation is not a process. It is a person. And Zacchaeus encountered a person, not a process. The Bible does not teach good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. It teaches forgiven people go to heaven. You know, there are way too many people in this city that don't know God loves flawed people. Like loves, loves flawed people. And I know here this morning there are people that are struggling with that. Could God really be that good? I mean, really be that good, Donald? Like, do you really believe that his grace is actually greater than my sin? Yeah. Not only do I believe it, I've experienced it. I speak from experience to know what it is to have grace that is greater than my sin. This morning, I, for those of you who may be here, who've never really had an encounter with Jesus, never really fully maybe even understood what Jesus has done for you, that he took your place, like took your place on that cross, took your sins, 
Even when we were train wrecks, the Bible says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ went ahead and died on the cross. Not when we got our act put together, but while we were still sinners, while we were still train wrecks, he went ahead. I think for some of you, today is the day for you. This morning is your morning. Why wait any longer? God's grace is greater than your sin. The portrait that the Bible gives us of God is that he is a father who doesn't just go back and go, really, you fell down again, huh? You fell down again. You know, buddy, if you don't get your act cleaned up, I'm just going to be done with you. That's, that's, not what, that's not the picture we get. You know what the picture we get is? You know, for those who are parents and you've had uh, children and, you know, a dad, let's just say a dad's watching his son learn how to walk and, you know, he finally, you know, he crawls on the edge of the, of the sofa. He kind of pulls himself up and he's pretty proud of himself. And then he, you know, puts his hand, right, the little boy puts his hand on the coffee table and, and he's kind of walking and you can just see how excited and the dad's really excited as well. That's my boy. That's my boy. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, the child, the child... He takes a step and he's still holding on, but he finally lets go and he takes a step and everybody is cheering, get it on camera, come on, get it on camera. And then he falls. Does a dad say, oh, my soul and body, son, it's not that hard, I've been doing it for years, watch me. <laughs> like, oh, erase the video, let's try it again. <laughs> no, that's not the God of the Bible. You know what the God of the Bible does? He runs, hey, pretty good, you took a step. Let's get up and try it again. Let's try another step. God celebrates when we take steps. Listen, we're all sinners, every one of us. Every one of us. And I know there's going to be times that we fall. And God's going to come along and pick us up. And he says, let's take another step. Let's take another step. God celebrates when you step, when you take steps. Hard to get my mind wrapped around this truth. Hard to get my mind to understand this grace of God. That he would die in my place. I, I, I can't understand that. I just want to close with this. His grace is greater than your sin. And his grace is greater than any flaw that you might have. That's the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we so thankful that we can just look at a simple story like Zacchaeus. A story that maybe many of us have known since we've been children. And in this story, we, we just see the God's grace lavishly displayed on the undeserved. And that's what God's grace is. We are so undeserving, and yet you come our way. You come our way. And Lord, this morning, we pray together as a family here. That for those who may not know Jesus, Lord, that they could understand there is nothing 
in their past, nothing in their present that God can't deal with. Lord, I pray that you would speak deep into their hearts and their mind and soul and let them know there's a God who doesn't work in the way we think. (laughs) It's not a conditional relationship. But the fact is that God loved us why we were still sinners. And then, Lord, for us who are believers, who sometimes we get, we get a distorted view of God, we just still on that treadmill of performance to please you. And God, it's not our behavior that alters your love for us. Because your love, your grace is unconditional. And we celebrate that this morning. And for those of us who maybe are still living that way, Lord, set us free today to know that Jesus plus nothing equals 